Matthew chapter 23. And I'll look at verses 1 through 24 today. Matthew chapter 23. The Bible reads this way. Then spake Jesus to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All, there, all, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at the feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe well unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe well unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves." Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that sweareth by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrite! For ye pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have to done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to be here this morning. And I do pray that you would help us to apply biblical principles to our lives. Lord, I would ask that you would Clear my heart and my mind that I'd only be focused upon you. Lord, that your grace would work in and through me. 
And Lord, I do pray that if there is someone here that does not know you, that they would come to know you. I ask you for this. I thank you for your goodness to us. I love you. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've entitled the message this morning, Playing Christianity. Playing Christianity. I'm sure that most of you were like me. You, you did the same thing that I did when you were growing up. And I'm sure that you probably mimic someone in your family or maybe a close friend. I remember when I was a young boy, my dad would get out the lawnmower and cut the grass. So what did I do as a young boy? I would get my plastic lawnmower and I'd follow behind my dad. If he was cutting the grass, I was going to cut the grass. I, I wanted to be like my dad. I was mimicking my dad. I remember my sisters, when they were little, they, they would uh, get makeup and they would put it on. They looked more like a clown than they did anything else, but they thought that they were the cat's meow. I mean, they thought that, <laughs> that they were looking good. They would get their makeup all on, and they had lipstick all over the place, you know, and, and uh, then they would put on uh, dresses and get mommy's high heels and pretend that they were going out on, you know, on the town. They, they mimicked my mom. And I think that many kids will do that. We're watching my, it's my great nephew. We're watching him and, and uh, his name is Aiden. And we'll say, Aiden, blow kisses. We'll go, blow kisses. Mwah, mwah. And he goes, you know, like this. He's, he hasn't, he hasn't, he's trying, he's trying, but he hasn't quite figured it out. Um, and it's cute and, and funny and even special. You know, we, we've been videotaping, my wife's been videotaping certain these things, so we can go back and be able to look at them and share it with his mom and, and their grandmom, and, and it, it's, it's cute. But what's not cute and funny, and even special, it's none of those things, is when people play Christianity. It's when people mimic they substitute religion for righteousness. See, there are many people today in our churches that just play at Christianity. They, they find what they think is a good model of Christianity, and so therefore what they do is they just mimic it. They're full of religion, but they're not really into righteousness. They just go along because that's what they've always done. Matter of fact, I'm, I, I'm concerned about our young people, our singles and, and uh, the teenagers because what they do is they say, hey, I've always been in church because my parents have put me in church and it seems like a good thing to be in church. And so, you know what? I can just do the church things on Sunday and they've never made Jesus Christ personal in their own life. You know, my parents went to church and they turned out okay and I, I seem to be okay, so... I'm going to do the same thing. 
I'm going to send my kids to church too because I want them to turn out to be at least moral individuals. Listen, folks, the reason for us to bring up kids is not to make them just good kids. It's to make them godly kids. Those who live in cults, a lot of them, they've got good kids. There's a lot of unsaved people out there that got good moral kids. It's not about us raising good moral kids. It's about us raising godly kids, kids that walk with the Lord. And it's more than just religion, but there's a desire for righteousness. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is giving his last recorded public sermon. You know, he could have spoken on a lot of different topics. He could have spoken on how to preach. He could have spoken on how to win souls. He could have spoken on how to grow the church. But his last public sermon is about religion versus righteousness. See, this morning, friends, I want you to understand that religion is no substitute for righteousness in your life. You can be mimicking a lot of Christian things, but I'm going to be honest with you, you've got to come to the point in your own life that you say, this is what I believe and I'm going to live by it. Religion, it looks like the real thing many times. It does, but it's not. When religion is examined, it fails underneath the scrutiny of true righteousness. See, we know how to do everything that's Christian. We know how to talk Christian. We know how to act Christian. We know how to dress Christian. We know how to whatever Christian. We, we know how to do the Christian thing. And guess what? The Pharisees knew how to do the religious thing. And they were used by Jesus to show the contrast between religion and righteousness. I'd like you to take a look here this morning. First thing, religion is no substitute for righteousness. I want us to see first the Pharisees in verses 1 through 5. If you're taking notes in your program, I'm going to give you a teaching outline and then a practical outline. Okay, this is the teaching outline right here, the Pharisees, all right, verses 1 through 5. The practical outline is with the Pharisees, you can write this beside them, your emphasis is misguided. Your emphasis is misguided. You say, why do you put your instead of their? Because I want you to make it personal. Their emphasis was misguided. But if you're substituting religion for righteousness, your emphasis is misguided, just like the Pharisees. And what we see here, letter A, the wrong, the wrong. These men were putting the emphasis in the wrong area, in the wrong area. You say, well, what was, what, what were they doing? It said, take a look here in verse 3. Uh, verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. So Jesus is saying, don't do, do, don't stop doing what they tell you to do, but take a look here. That observe and do, but do, ye, do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. 
See, the problem was, you say, what was their emphasis? Their emphasis was upon rules and regulations. They emphasized the rules and regulations. Jesus isn't saying, well, forget about all standards. Jesus isn't saying that at all. But their emphasis, all that they looked at, they were looking at religion. Well, if you do all these things, then you will be right with God. Can I tell you, you can do all the Christian things and still be wrong with God. You can look the part, but guess what? What goes on in here. You can look the part, but what goes on in here. What goes on in here is whether you have religion or righteousness. See, and their emphasis was upon these rules. What were they doing? They were adding to Moses' teaching. They had positioned themselves. They had put themselves in a position of authority that was not given to them. You say, what do you mean? It says here in the text that they, they had taken the seat of Moses. Now, Moses was the chief lawgiver. He was the God's spokesman, and he was appointed by God. He was appointed to speak for God. God had given him the law, and then he spoke for God. Now that the law had been given, these men took it upon themselves to say, hey, we're going to sit in Moses' seat. We're going to be God's spokesman. There's only one problem with that. They weren't appointed by God to be God's spokesman. They took a role upon themselves that was never given to them by God. And what I find troubling in the church today is when you have those who set themselves up as the protectors of all that is good and holy. There are times in the church life, my friends, when when there are folks in the church, they believe it's their obligation to make sure that everyone, make sure that everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. They, they make sure that everybody is crossing their theological T's and dotting their theological I's exactly the way that it should be done. They're making sure that everybody is holding to the standard. They're going around making sure that everybody is doing exactly what they should be doing. See, their main concern is not the authority of the Bible. But their main concern is what they deem to be the most important tradition to hold on to. See, these men here, they're wrong. They were more concerned with the tradition. And they were adding to the law of Moses. Basically, what was happening is they were adding to the word of God. And what's troubling in churches is that we see that all over the place. You say, what do you mean? Well, I've, I've heard it said once and again, if you do this or you do that, man, you're on the slippery slope to liberalism. Say, so, what do you mean? Give us an example. I remember when churches would fight over this. This is made by Daylight, D-A-L-I-T-E. Man, I can't spell, and I know that's not even right. <laughs> this is made by Daylight. It's made out of plastic and, I guess, other fibers. But churches fault over this. Man, if you've got one of these in your church and you use it, 
you are on the slippery, slippery slope to liberalism. God forbid that you ever have a screen in the church. Now, I'm sure these people at daylight, I'm sure that they're possessed of the devil and they wanted all churches to just go down that slippery slope. Folks, there's nothing wrong with this screen. But let me tell you something. What would be wrong if you put an inappropriate picture up here? Correct? Correct? Oh, by the way, This here, man, if you have one of these, you are a compromiser. Did you realize that? What do you mean if you had a piano? Yes, if you had a piano in your church, you were a compromiser. And Why is that? Because back in the day, the only place the pianos were used were used in bars. Hmm. So boy, I mean... Folks, let me ask you something. Why do we allow the world to take the things that God can use for his honor and glory and for them to take them and use them for wickedness and then we feel that we can't use it for righteousness? Do you ever think where some of the Israelites got some of their musical tools to be able to use when they left Egypt? If you study it out, they got some, not all, but some of their musical tools from the Egyptians. See, when your emphasis is misguided, hey, I would be all for, Pastor, you know, if we're getting a screen in here, that's wonderful. But I just want to make sure that we're not putting up the wrong things on there. Well, God bless you. You don't have to worry about that. As long as I'm pastor here, we're going to have appropriate things up there. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. But to be able to say that, hey, a screen is wrong or a piano is wrong or how about this one? Well, if you have, I mean, you remember back in the day, the only person that led music was one individual. Bless God, there's only going to be one individual. That's what the Bible says. There's only supposed to be one individual to lead the church in worship. Just one up here, and he's going to stand up here and wave his arms like a bird. He's going to look like he's flying. But God forbid if we get three or four or five, six, seven, eight people. You see the nonsense that we bring into the church and it makes us feel, it makes us feel if we don't do those things, then we are better than that other church because they're going down a slippery slope. By the way, I got one question. What's the difference if four or five or six people stand here or they stand here? What I'm saying is what happens is we can become like the Pharisees and emphasize the wrong things. Now, if somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I'm glad that we have this singing, uh, this singing team and all that kind of stuff, but I just want to make sure, are we going to have songs that honor and lift up the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes. That's a valid concern. And by the way, I think I got more Bible for a group of people leading in worship. They're called the Levites than just one. 
you see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but I want you to understand that there's so many times if we're not careful, we emphasize the wrong things in our life. If we are just doing this, 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 and this, then I am a good Christian. I, but what you, don't, you fail to realize is that you could be doing all the right things and be as far away from God as anyone else. They're wrong See, what happens is the traditions get put on the same level as Bible, as truth. See, the things that we like get put on that same level. And if we're not careful, we emphasize the wrong thing. We see they're, we see they're wrong. Take a look, number two, or letter B. We see their work. We see their work. The work of the Pharisees is the same work of those today that hold tradition higher than the Bible. We see this in, in verses 3 through 9, and, and uh, it talks about their phylacteries. And, and what the point is here is that they had an outward form of godliness. And what happened was that they, they were encouraged to see things that were not requirements to become requirements. And what happens in the name of religion many times is that there's an appearance of godliness, but there's not the reality of godliness. The Bible tells us that in the latter days, there will be some that will come in that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. See, what happens is, when we act in this way, when we live in this way, you can have the correct performance of an outward right and hold, for, uh, hold, hold firm to orthodox teaching. But the problem is when that becomes an end in itself. This is what happened to the Pharisees. William Barclay, who devoted many years to biblical research in Palestine, reports in the Talmud. He says, he speaks of there were seven kinds of Pharisees. The first group... Barclay calls shoulder Pharisees, so named because of their custom of displaying accounts of their good deeds on their shoulders for other people to see and to admire. When they prayed, they put ashes on their heads as an act of humility and wore sad expressions on their faces to suggest piousness. You say, well, we, we don't go around putting our good deeds on our shoulders no, but when we do something good or right and then we're not recognized for it, then what happens? The second group he calls, wait a little, wait a, uh, wait a while. Due to their clever ability to come up with their fabricated spiritual reasons for putting off doing something good, pious excuses were their stock in trade the third group were the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. In order not to commit the sin of looking at a woman lustfully, those Pharisees closed their eyes whenever women were around. Understandably, they received many bruises and abrasions from bumping into walls, posts, and other objects. They measured their pi Now listen to this. They measured their piousness by the number and severity of their injuries. We measure our piousness by the number and severity of all our standards. I'm not against standards. 
But standards don't make a Christian. What makes a Christian? Jesus told us in the previous section, you are a disciple of his. If you love him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your might, your strength, your whole person, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This fulfills all the law. Then if you do that, you don't have to worry about lusting after a woman because you see her in the image of God and she's a sister in Christ. She's not an object. The fourth group were the humpback tumbling. In order to show off their supposed humility, they slouched over with bent backs and shuffled their feet instead of taking normal steps, leading to frequent stumbles and tumbles. The fifth group were the ever-seeking, named because of the meticulous record-keeping of their good deeds in order to determine how much reward God owed them. The sixth group were the fearing Pharisees, whose terror over the prospect of hell motivated everything they did. The seventh and the last group were the God-fearing, those whose lives were motivated out of genuine love for God and desire to please Him. The Pharisee Nicodemus would doubtless have been classed in this group, though this was the smallest of all the Pharisees. You say, what was the problem, Pastor? God was not personal or real to them. They had traditions. The Bible says in verse 3, for they say and they do not. They're religious phonies. They were hypocrites who did not practice what they preached. Isn't it interesting that we want to put, that when, when it comes to rules and regulations or standards or whatever, we want to put um, uh, much on other people and we hold them to a very high standard. But when we break those rules or standards, guess what we do? We give ourselves some slack, don't we? We always give ourselves some slack. These people, they were more concerned about the traditions of men. They were not very sympathetic, according to verse 4. They were unloving. They were uncaring. They would place such heavy burdens upon people that they were almost impossible to bear. And when someone was unable to keep the regulation that they had set up, they chided them in order to add to their burden. They had a genuine, they had a lack of a genuine desire to love God. Take a look at verse 5, if you would, please. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. They would rather be seen of men and applauded by men. The things that they did was for an outward show. Let me ask you something. What if nobody ever saw the things that you did for God? Would you be okay with that? What if, what if your desire was just to be able to walk holy with God and just to be known of God and approved of God and nobody, nobody, ever recognized you for that? Could we be okay with that? See, their objective was to glorify themselves and not God. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6, if you would, please. I want you to take a look there. Their objective was to glorify themselves. 
see, as believers, our objective is not to be one in front of the other. Well, I, be, be going around, well, I, I'm a little bit better than that person. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, why do we do that? We do that because we want to promote ourselves. We want to feel good about ourselves. Take a look. Take heed that ye do not after their alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. See, these religious leaders, they wanted to flaunt their religiosity before men, to be seen of men, in order that men would hold them in high regard. See, listen, folks, listen. Man-made laws will not make you right with God. The outward form of religion is not enough. The only way that we can meet, be right with God is to meet God's requirements and to live by them. But number two this morning, we saw the Pharisees. Your emphasis is misguided. But take a look at the second thing, the problem. The problem. Your ego is predominant. You put that off to the side if you would. Your ego is predominant. We see this in verses 6 through 13 here this morning. Matthew chapter 23 Verses 6 to 7. And love the uppermost rooms at the feast, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Your ego is predominant. You know that you're playing Christianity when your emphasis is misguided. You know that you're playing Christianity when your ego, when your ego is predominant. We, sit, we take a look at their pride in verses 6 and 7. You might want to put that in letter A, their pride. See, pride is a direct result of being more concerned about tradition or rules and regulation than being in a right relationship with God. Pride is a direct result of that. See, if you're in a right relationship with God, you understand your position, you understand God's position. And there's not going to have, you're not going to have that issue. Oh, Dave, come here for a second. I want to use you as an illustration. All you got to do is stand. That's it. Okay? So you stand here. Just stand right there. Yeah, there you go. A, a veteran knows how to stand properly, right? A soldier. <laughs> what happens is... If my problem, my pride, my ego, what I want to do is because Brother Dave may not be holding to the same tradition or rules and regulation that's not Bible. I've made it Bible. But it's not Bible. And so he hasn't held to that. And so therefore what I do it's because he hasn't held to that. I am a, a better Christian than Brother Dave is because he hasn't held to that own personal standard. And what happens? I start glorifying 
myself. Amen. Can you believe? Can you believe that he does that? Can you believe that? Can you believe that Brother David? Christianity is not supposed to be this way. This is not the way. We don't have lines in Christianity. Christianity is supposed to be this way. There's only one who's in front, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to walk arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, forward for Christ. He sets the standard. He is the way. We follow his regulation. There is to be no pride. Because there's only one problem. I could say, well, I'm better than you, and 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 I can start moving myself to the front of the line, but there's always one in front of me, and his name is Jesus Christ. And since, and since I am supposed to be a Christian, and since I have the same Jesus that he has, then we should be able to walk this way and not this way. Thanks, Brother Dave. Their pride, they wanted to glorify themselves. They wanted to be seen by men. And what happens is we compare ourselves with ourselves. Listen, the only person in here that you are to compare yourself to is the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not to compare myself to you. You're not to compare my, yourself to me. You're not to compare yourself to each other. Our comparison goes to the Lord. Why? Because it's not my walk that you're to be following. It's to, you are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, his walk. It's not my way that you're following. It is his way. You're not called to be disciples of George. You're called to be disciples of Christ. And these comparisons, they really are a form of pride. And they have no life in, the, in part of the church. What are we to do? We're to walk humbly before God and before our brothers and sisters. But these, these men loved honor and respect more than humility. Take a look at their position in verses 8 through 10. In verses 8 through 10, we see their position. But be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. It's interesting to note, what, what were these men doing, their position it's interesting to note that those who hold regulations, rules, whatever the case, man-made rules, man-made regulations, higher than righteousness, usually set themselves up as the final authority. They usually set themselves up on the, what it means, since, since I've got these man-made rules, these man-made regulations, these man-made standards, what they do is they usually set themselves up as the final authority of what it means to be a good Christian. They expect others to to look to them as someone who is superior in their Christian walk. And these men here in the Scripture, these Pharisees, they set themselves up as ones who were to be great. They were to be, they were to be noticed, and they were to be the ones that were to be followed. But you know, what I found is that those who are to be representing God are to be humble. 
Jesus said, if you want to be great, you're to be the servant of all. So those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our position is not to be out front. Our position is to be found in humility. Christianity is a faith that has humility at its core. Christianity is a faith that has humility at its core. You know what's, uh, we talk about oxymorons. Like you've heard that, fresh frozen, you know, jumbo shrimp, you've heard that. Government intelligence, you've heard that. You want to know what an oxymoron is? Prideful Christian. That's an oxymoron. See, our Lord's life was marked by humility. But it was not, it's not humility for the sake of humility. See, the reason that his, his life was marked by humility was to point the way to salvation. And it's the same thing for us. Our life is to be marked, our position and our life is to be marked by humility in order to point people to Christ. Guess what? You never come to Christ without first being humbled. You cannot be saved without humility. You say, what do you mean? You've got to recognize that you are a sinner. You have to recognize that. That you've sinned against God. You've got to humble yourself under God. That's why I say that Christianity is a faith that is marked by humility. It's through humility that one's really exalted. We don't have to promote ourselves. Take a look at verse 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Now take a look at letter C, their problem. Their problem. We're seeing the problems here. And we're seeing that your, your ego is predominant. We see that there was their pride. They had the wrong idea of position. They wanted to be great before men instead of humble. Take a look at their problem. The problem that we find here is that pride separates one from God. Here you go. Humility can help open the door to heaven. Pride slams it shut. Humility can open the door to heaven, but pride slams it shut. It was their pride that was keeping them from heaven. And it's through pride that these Pharisees and their religion, that they were keeping people out of the kingdom of God. It was through the incessant demands of keeping man-made traditions and man-made laws to continue to emphasize and focus in on the rules instead of a relationship that they were keeping people from true righteousness. They were keeping people from a relationship with God. Now, folks, I don't want you to misunderstand me in this message. I am not of the persuasion of hyper-grace that we can just live any way that we want and God's just going to accept us because all has been forgiven. No, there is the law of Christ, the Bible says. We are to live righteous. But the point of Christianity 
is not our focus upon religion uh, uh, or regulations and standards. The point of Christianity is developing a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point of Christianity. The reason that I don't want to do wrong is not because I'm afraid God is going to zap me. That's not the reason. The reason that I don't want to, to look at something inappropriate, the reason that I don't want to commit adultery, the reason that I don't want to lie or to gossip or to steal or to want to put, put whatever sin you want in there, the reason that I don't want to do that is because I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I don't want to hurt my fellowship with him. If all that my, relation, my, my, my relationship with my wife was just about, now, honey, I'm giving you this list of rules, this list of rules you've got to keep, and that will make you a good husband. You would say, that's foolish. And by the way, have you noticed the world's not getting any better? So guess what? If you live by, only by rules and not a relationship with Christ, your list is going to be so long that you can't keep it. You're not going to have enough paper to be able to fill it, to, to be able, to, 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 be able to, uh, to follow it, I should say. But if, now listen, but if, you're, if your life is based upon a relationship of knowing God and your ultimate goal is to please Him, guess what? You've got the Holy Spirit in your heart, okay? And when you do something that He may not approve of, there's going to be something in your heart that says, ah, that maybe this just isn't what I should be doing. Maybe I just need to rethink this instead of going in this direction. Because could you imagine, Paul? guess what? Paul never listed in the Bible, thou shalt not sexting. You know, it's texting, you know. doesn't say that. There's no such thing as texting back then. And now we've got this sexting thing that's going on with inappropriate pictures, young people and adults sending inappropriate pictures to each other. Huh. Thou shalt not. Well, it doesn't say in the Bible, so. Well, it doesn't say don't smoke marijuana in the Bible either or shoot up with heroin. But if you remember that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, if you remember that you're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. My point is, folks, that we can have a list of rules and regulations as long as this auditorium. It's not about that. It's about knowing Christ on a personal and intimate way. Let me ask you, is your life more made up of check Check, check, check. Make sure I'm a good Christian. Or is your life made up of, Lord, you know my heart. You know that I'm a wicked man. You know, I think and have wrong thoughts and ideas. And Lord, I'm asking that you would cleanse my heart and my mind. 
Lord, I want to desire you more, but my flesh seems to get in the way all the time. Lord, I would ask that you would change my desire. Lord, I would pray that I would honor you through my life today and that I would honor my wife. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be able to be a godly influence over the people that you placed in my path. Lord, I pray that I would actually live up to what people think I am instead of what I really am. There's a vast difference between that and check, 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 check. Are you just playing Christianity? Father, I pray that you'd help us as we come to this invitation time. And Lord, I would ask that you would help us not to substitute religion for righteousness. Righteousness.